Good evening. We're thankful you're here this evening. As uh, Ryan was rightfully saying there, it is a busy Sunday on the second Sunday of the month for many of us. I don't know if that's why Cody prayed that we would be worn out in the service there. I don't know that's exactly the same thing. But a lot of times on the second Sundays, we all feel a little uh, more tired than we do maybe on other Sundays when we're uh, just here for both services or what have you during the day. Uh, but it is an exciting thing. It is a good thing. I know our teens had a safe trip and a good time going down to the teen singing and back. Uh, and we certainly had a good service today at the Saturday Daisy Healthcare Center. Good Bible Bowl practice. Lots of good things that are going on. It'll be a bit of a busy week. Uh, as we said this morning, we are certainly saddened uh, for the passing of our sister Evelyn McCulley. And we know that you all are in prayer for Bill and that family. I'll go ahead and mention it now. I may mention it again during the announcements. But there are some sign-up sheets in the foyer for you ladies uh, as we make preparations to provide a meal for the family on Tuesday evening uh, after the funeral and the burial. Uh, some those who can help uh, set up and serve and really and then those who can help clean up as well as the food and we appreciate the good job that uh, that you do in that and the chance that we have uh, certainly as we talked last year a few weeks ago uh, during our kind of year-end recap we had five of our own members who are longtime members here maybe even had family that are members here uh, but certainly with the situation McCulley's and many others and we have an opportunity to encourage a family uh, maybe with that kind of meal and that kind of uh, service here from the congregation um, that's a, a good thing an opportunity for us to do something for a family there and we appreciate your help in that uh, tonight we're going to continue Moving through the books of the Bible, uh, we're going to take a little bit of a break from our usual thing in that we've been just covering one book a month. And for the sake of our discussion tonight, we are going to move uh, through First and Second Chronicles together. Uh, one of the main reasons for that is the fact, as we have said all along, um, that First and Second Kings or First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, and even First and Second Chronicles would have all been uh, grouped together on one scroll, of course, as it would be uh, during that time until it became too much and they needed to make a split. Uh, and so we have taught now for a year, one book a month, and beginning now this year, uh, looking at these things from the Old Testament. We're reminded in Romans chapter 15 and verse number four, of course, that those things that were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Uh, knowing this congregation, the way that we have come to know you and the studying that we have done together, I know how much we appreciate those Old Testament things, the opportunity to look back and to see uh, ourselves, as it were, through various things, to say we can see mankind, we can see humans doing things that we still do today when it comes to being disobedient and things like that. So certainly it has been encouraging, hopefully, for you uh, as we have gone through these to consider the children of Israel and as it were, to look in a mirror at times, to look at the children of Israel and see, yes, we can point backwards with 2020 vision, as we say, and, and pick out all their mistakes. But it's really like looking in a mirror sometimes because we find ourselves in the same boat. I don't know if you've ever read First and Second Chronicles before. Uh, it was interesting to me in, in studying this and thinking about it. I kind of had that thought. Um, you see some people that sometimes give out superlatives. We know schools still kind of do that, most studious or something like that. First and second chronicles, uh, certainly first chronicles might go into the superlative of least read or most often skipped. If you opened your book or your Bible there to first chronicles, you will notice as you look through there that it is the first nine chapters. Count them as you go through there. The first nine chapters of First Chronicles is nothing but genealogies. 
So if you're like me and any kind of somewhat normal person, you open the First Chronicles to do your daily Bible reading, you go, eh, I think I'll just skip over that for right now, right? Because we struggle with the names and, and we don't really care sometimes in a, in a sense. We, we understand the overall plan of genealogies, but I mean, who wants to read all these names that we can't even pronounce that, of course, most of us, no one really uses today, you know, in naming their children. So we just skip over First and Second Chronicles. But there's another reason why as well, and that is that the books of First and Second Chronicles, or the book of the Chronicles, covers the same material as Second Samuel and First and Second Kings. So again, we come to the book of First Chronicles and we say, this is just a repeat. I mean, why would I worry about that? Because it's just a repeat of these things I've already read in 2 Samuel and 1 and 2 Kings. But I would submit to you tonight that in actuality, it is not just a repeat. Uh, it's important for us to note as we study these books, even if it is very briefly tonight together, to realize that it is not just a repeat. And it is certainly not totally a repeat. I mean, it's not word for word. We would understand that. But it's not totally a repeat either of what you read there. And on top of that, do we not know that repetition can be a good thing at times? I mean, it certainly is. Uh, we do that with our children. We want them to learn. We learn by doing repetition. We think about our athletes. Our athletes many times shoot 1,000 basketball shots a day because of their muscle memory. They want it to become second nature. It's a repetition thing. With our young people, for the last hour or so here, we've gone into the room and we've studied the book of Luke and we have just drilled these questions because repetition provides us a benefit when it comes to learning oftentimes. So even though there is some of the same material, uh, repetition can be good, first of all. But secondly, it's not totally a repeat. In fact, there is a bit of a, a difference uh, when we look at the, that group of 2 Samuel and 1 and 2 Kings and as we look at the Chronicles, if you will, I'm going to show you a few of them. The last couple will be in your outline. One is we see that that original grouping or that first grouping, I guess I should say, is a political history, if you will. It's a political take on the children of Israel and the kingdoms there, the United Kingdom, then the, really the divided kingdom. While First and Second Chronicles takes a bit of a religious look at what takes place during this time. A second one that some people toss out there is that first group gives a prophetic sort of take on the things that happen while the book of Chronicles or the books of the Chronicles covers a priestly. And you begin to see a theme here, religious and priestly on one side from the Chronicles and of course a political or prophetic on the other side and then the one that I submitted to you tonight, if you've got an outline in front of you, is 2 Samuel and 1 and 2 Kings, if we were to be honest about it and look at it, gives it man's history, if you will, or man's take on history. And the, book, uh, the books of the Chronicles would give us a divine perspective. The people who really study these things, who sit down and read them all together, maybe in a matter of a day, and really try to break it down, uh, they would describe the Chronicles as God looking down and giving his perspective on things. Uh, Second Chronicles in particular focuses on the Davidic line, uh, the Davidic dynasty, 
from David to the Messiah. And we know how important that is. We understand what that is and what that means for these genealogies that we don't like to read many times. And so when we think about man's history versus a divine perspective, you begin to see that. Here's one example for you. And, and I don't have the verses exactly, but I can just share it with you. When it comes to Hezekiah, King Hezekiah and his reform, all right, his reform that he goes through, Second Kings spends three verses. Second Kings spends three verses talking about Hezekiah's reform. But Second Chronicles spends three chapters talking about Hezekiah's reform. So from a divine perspective, when it comes to this reform, this changing or trying to turn things from worshiping idols, from going away from God to God, this reform is important. If it's from a divine perspective, as we're saying here, then it would make sense that 2 Chronicles would spend chapters 29, 30, and 31, three chapters looking at Hezekiah's reform as opposed to man. Man may spend three verses on it. But to go a little further in that, if you look at the, sec at the book of 2 Kings, 2 Kings spends three chapters discussing Hezekiah's military strength or military might. So again, I'm not claiming that one is better than the other, although certainly we would prefer the divine perspective in a sense. But yes, man's going to focus on political things. Man's going to focus on military might. And man's going to touch on reform. But from a divine perspective, then, we see that God looking down, giving his take on things, is going to say it a little differently, which is what we find in the books of the Chronicles. A couple of mentions here of the title. Uh, I am not going to try to pronounce these words tonight. I can't even get the short words out many times. But when we look at the Hebrew title that was given, first of all, to these books, you'll see the phrase there underneath first and second chronicles but what it translates out to is the words of the days now to put it in today's language we might say the events of the times so we're not looking at uh, doctrine if you will per se uh, we're, we're not looking at the history of the ark of the covenant or the tabernacle and how we're supposed to build these things we're looking at what's going on the events of the times, if we were to put it into our language today. Now, you're going to need a moment on the other one if you've got your outline. But this is the Septuagint title. The Septuagint, of course, was the Greek translation of the Old Testament, of the Hebrew Bible. And when it was translated or written, when they had it here, this was the title that was given to it. Interestingly enough, what it means is, of things omitted or things missing. So it's understood that those who use this title were referring to the things that were omitted from Samuel, the book of Samuel and the book of the Kings. And so these are the two titles that were given again to help us understand and see here uh, exactly what it is describing in the book, books of Chronicles here. I hope you had time to write all that down there. All right, so who wrote the book? We usually try to touch on this, and almost always, not 100% of the time, but a lot of times, our answer is that the author is uncertain. But if you've got your outline in front of you, the question mark and the blanks there should match up because oftentimes we think of Ezra being the writer. Now, there's something uh, that makes this point for us that is somewhat interesting, and if you've got your outline there, we're going to make a point here how it might be, might be, 
might be, all right, to say it again there, similar to Luke and Acts. If you've got your Bible in front of you, you can turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 36, all right? The end of the book of 2 Chronicles. Oftentimes, as we go back through these Old Testament books, it's hard to know. Unless someone says it or we can understand certain things, and as we talked about in our class in here on Wednesday night, when you take a critical introduction to the Old Testament, I mean, you can write whole papers uh, uh, whole papers there in a senior level class on who wrote which uh, book of the Bible. Uh, but to kind of take just an interesting thought about it here, when you come to Second Chronicles chapter 36, look at verses 22 and 23. Now, I don't know if it falls in the same opening in your Bible, but if it falls with the same opening of Ezra, look at Ezra chapter 1 and verses 1, 2, and 3. Now, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah. Look at the similarities there between these two sections. Is that 100% definitive proof that Ezra wrote First and Second Chronicles? I don't think I can say that, and I don't know that many people would. But it seems to lend itself that it's quite possible. Many of you are familiar with Luke and Acts, uh, oftentimes considered to be a two-part uh, thing there that Luke wrote Luke but then as well as Luke begins uh, with the writing to Theophilus Acts does the same thing so there's similarity and so when we look at the end of Second Chronicles and Ezra there's similarity and it certainly is possible I don't think that it's going to have an effect on your salvation or mine and sometimes we have to leave some of these things at that but it is interesting to point out and so possibly it is Ezra that was writing these things down a few of the contents that are included in First Chronicles, first of all, to break them out. In First Chronicles, we begin with the genealogies. It begins with the word Adam. We go all the way back to the beginning. And First Chronicles begins with Adam and then Seth. And so it goes from Adam to Solomon focusing on the line of David. I heard it said or read it in doing in my study that we're talking about 3,500 years. I didn't take time or have time to, to back that up for sure. But 3,500 years, this span that we're talking about that's going to be covered as we go backward all the way to Adam. And of course, we're just getting the genealogy. We're not getting 3,500 years worth of stories or content. Um, but that's what's covered here through First Chronicles. In Second Chronicles, we go from Solomon, leaving off with Solomon, to the Babylonian exile of Judah, the carried away or carrying away into captivity. Second uh, Chronicles is oftentimes called the road to captivity. We continue to see these stories and these things, the children of Israel, these kings who are, are, who are involved in these terrible ways, many of them, uh, many of them who are involved in those things. And the people are headed to captivity. Whose fault is it? Well, it's their own. It's the way that they are choosing to live. But that is certainly the path that is taking place here in First and Second Chronicles. A few key verses. If you've got your Bibles open, you may want to be turning to these as we'll touch on these together. But First Chronicles chapter 17, verses 11 and 12, first of all. First Chronicles 17 and verses 11 and 12. God's covenant with David that is listed here. And it shall be when your days are fulfilled, when you must go to be with your fathers, that I will set up your seed after you, who will be, who will be of your sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build me a house, and I will establish his throne forever. 
I've mentioned this before, but I, I've tried in several instances and left it out in others, but the idea of pointing out this Davidic line, again, this Davidic dynasty, as it were, in this line of David to the Messiah, these passages that point forward toward the Christ. Uh, I would encourage you, if you are able to be with us on Wednesday nights, that we have begun a study uh, that is called a general overview of the Bible. I know the ladies, you have your, your class that you all enjoy. We understand that. But if you're able to come in here on Wednesday night, we're taking a look at that, at this general overview, this idea of the theme of the Bible, of God letting us know who he is and how he wants us to live and how we need to be obedient to him. And, of course, all of it from beginning to end, uh, pointing the way towards Christ, Christ coming, and then the discussion in the New Testament of his second coming. And so as we think about this promise, this covenant with David, when God makes a covenant, it is as sure as anything that we can imagine, any kind of parallel that we can make. And God is doing that here as he's discussing things with David. We go forward to Second Chronicles for our second uh, key verse here. <clears throat> second Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14. 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse number 14. God is making a second appearance to Solomon here. And he says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. A statement, a statement made by God, a statement made to Solomon but yet, can't you hear the promise of God, that kind of promise from him to mankind, as it were, to all of us, to the nation of Israel, to the nation of the United States of America, for people who would be faithful to him that he will hear. And sometimes it's easy for us to get bad and we shake our fists at our country and, and at our leaders and at the political parties and things. We get frustrated with things, and rightfully so, but it's because we see time and time again God blessing those, blessing those nations. And by the way, side note, that was the part of the providence discussion we, we absolutely didn't have time for this morning. But the way that God has worked providentially through the nations, through the history of time, is a great study when it comes to the providence of God. But he's willing to do that. And this great comment and this appearance here about what we can do and what we should do is tucked away here in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, but can be encouraging for us even today. And then 2 Chronicles chapter 34 and verse number 21. 2 Chronicles 34 and verse number 21. We're going to come back to this here in just a moment, this particular section. Uh, but Hilkiah finds the book of the law. 2 Chronicles 34 and verse 21. Go, inquire of the Lord for me and for those who are left in Israel and Judah concerning the words of the book that is found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is poured out on us because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord to do according to all that is written in this book. There's always discussion in our world today about generations, what generation you fall into and generation X or baby boomer and all these different generations. We talk about the great generations that have come before us who have done so many great things for this country. And we look forward to the generations that are here and are coming as they grow up and will begin to, God be willing, possess this land and this earth and make decisions and do things and live life. And we have to answer only for ourselves. Only for our generation. 
Will our children, will your children, will your, will your grandchildren look back and say, our fathers did not do all that was in the book. Our fathers did not do all that is according to all that is written in this book. They did not keep the word of the Lord. Or will they be able to say, yes, they were faithful and true to God. It's a pretty sobering thought for us to consider. Three practical lessons, and the lesson will be yours. This first one is not in your bulletin or in your outline. But the first practical lesson is that we must not sin even if we are commanded to sin. In First Chronicles chapter 21, we meet a man who has a bit of a crisis on his hands, if you will. Uh, and in connection with this, we must trust in God, not in military might. In First Chronicles chapter 21, we read a very interesting statement that we don't have time to really break down. Now Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. David's going to number Israel and Judah here. And so the man that I was referring to a moment ago, we meet in verse number 2. And David said to Joab and to the leaders of the people, Go and number Israel from Beersheba to Dan and bring the number of them to me that I may know it. And Joab answers in verse number three with what we can imagine is kind of a, you know, he's, he's in a crisis. I mean, really, should we do this? I don't want to be the one whose head is lopped off for questioning the king, but, you know, really, should we be doing this? Uh, in verse number three there, why then does my Lord require this thing? Why should he be a cause of guilt in Israel? And then verse number four, nevertheless, nevertheless, the king's word prevailed against Joab. Therefore, Joab departed and went throughout all Israel and came to Jerusalem. He comes back and he gives the sum and all you need to know going forward is verse number seven. And God was displeased with this thing. And therefore he struck Israel. We must not sin even if commanded to sin. And boy, that's hard. When the boss says we got to do it, when somebody says you need to do this thing, it's hard. But we must do our best not to sin, even if someone is pushing us in that direction. It's interesting as well here. Why was David doing this thing? Well, it would seem, as according to our point, that he is wanting to trust in this military might. He's wanting to know about the men, the people that he's got. I want to know the power that's in my hands. And when we trust in our own might or in our own people and our own strength and not in God, we're going to have a problem on our hands. You're familiar with Acts chapter 5 and verse number 29. As the apostles are on trial again for speaking in the name of Jesus and speaking for God. And Peter answered when they're told not to do these things. And they're told, did we not? Did we not strictly tell you not to do it? The same conversation we have with our children sometimes. You know I said not to do that. And of course, when it's our word against our children, it's one thing. But Peter says, it's more than that. We ought to obey God rather than men. That's a pretty profound statement there as well to consider. You're familiar as well with Ephesians chapter 6. This entire section around verses 12 through 13 discusses the whole armor of God. Paul makes this point. He's writing about this military might. It's not about the military might. It's not about how big your sword is or how many bullets you've got or how many guns you've got. For we do not wrestle, he says. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Our wrestling is against the devil. Our wrestling is against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. And therefore we should take up the whole armor of God that we are able to stand. 
We must not sin even if commanded to sin. And we must trust in God and not in military might. Number two tonight, the way of transgressors is hard. The way of transgressors is hard. If I stopped right now and we tried to go around this room, I think a lot of us could answer that in the affirmative because we've done something that our mom or dad did or did, said not to do, and we did it, and they got on to us, or a grandparent got on to us and told us not to do something, and we learned that the way of disobedience is hard. In 2 Chronicles chapter 36, there in verses 15 through 21, as we think about the children of Israel being carried away into captivity, we're quickly running out of time here, but notice some of the things if you turn to the passage in Chronicles there. They mocked, in verse 16, the messengers of God, despised his words. In verse 17, therefore he brought against them the king of the Chaldeans who killed their young men with a sword in the house of their sanctuary, had no compassion on young man or virgin, on the aged or the weak. He gave them all into his hand verse 19 they burn the house of god and in verse 20 they are carrying being carried away into babylonian captivity that's truly hard i mean that is truly hard but the way of transgressors is hard proverbs chapter 13 and verse 15 god understand or excuse me good understanding gains favor but the way of the unfaithful is hard we do things sometimes I've mentioned this in several sermons. And then bad things happen to us or we struggle and we shake our fists at God and we say, well, why? Why is my life so hard? Sometimes we simply have to back up and realize that we've been transgressing the will of God. And we are simply, of course, receiving some type of punishment. Maybe it's not the direct punishment. Maybe it's indirect sometimes. But for some sin that someone and oftentimes ourselves even have committed. And then third and finally tonight, the plea to restore true religion, and we would even toss in here the restoration plea, as we call it and consider, is valid. We touched on this passage just a moment ago in 2 Chronicles chapter 34. As Hilkiah finds the book of the law and they are going to take it and they are going to look at it. And Josiah is going to say, this is what we should be following. We don't have time, of course, to read that entire section. We looked just a few moments ago at verse number 21 from 2 Chronicles 34. But they're going to recognize that this is the book. This is the book that gives us the answers and we need to be restored. This religion needs to be restored following after God, as it were, and learning from what he has told us to do. It's the opposite of the way of transgression. If we are obedient, then life is not perfect. But yes, oftentimes things fall into place and they are easier for us. And then Romans chapter 6, and to make a New Testament application for ourselves, Romans 6 and verse 17, Romans 6 17, but God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. When we think about what Romans has to say about slavery and being obedient or being free, about being a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness, um, about these ideas here, of course, of going back and forth as we oftentimes do, we need to be searching for that true religion, that restoration of what God would have us to do. Folks, 
I mean, again, we could spend all night lamenting our country and many of the things that we don't like about it, but we're after a people. We're after the people even of our own nation to be restored to following after God. I'm, if we're being honest, it's never been totally that way, right? I mean, even when many people in the world claim to follow after God, there were still many evil people. But we can recognize, we can recognize that we must be doing our best to restore true religion Certainly, even just on the block that we live in and the part of the world that we inhabit and the people that we come in contact with. Tonight, as we conclude this lesson, there's a lot in the book of the Chronicles that doesn't amount to the way that we live today. But there are some pretty good lessons that we can consider when it comes to our lives. And as we think about being obedient, have you been obedient tonight? Because that is the simple answer or the simple question I think uh, it was maybe been Travis and we were joking about it the other day. He's saying, you know, maybe even today it was, but it's pretty simple in the end. You know, have you done the good things of God or have you done the evil things? Have you been obedient or have you not? And when God looks at us and, and Jesus, we're judged by the words of Jesus, that will be something that we uh, will have done and we will be judged by. And we will not have any time to consider that. So we're thankful for this time tonight. This song has been selected for you to consider your life. Do you need to become a child of God, being baptized for the remission of sins? Do you need to come back to him? We're thankful that he has made the way possible, and you can take advantage of it even now as we stand together and as we sing.